Well, today we're in for a special treat. We are privileged to have the Reverend Steve Mills is going to bring God's word to us. Um, Steve is no stranger to Calvary. In fact, he grew up here in Calvary, and he's the beloved son of Pastor and Wally, Betty Wally and Betty Mills. And uh, we're thrilled to have him. Steve's the senior pastor at Bethany Baptist Church in Sault Ste. Marie. And uh, some of you know him by Stevie. So, uh, Stevie, why don't you come on up here? All right. Thank you, Johnny. (laughs) Thank you for the privilege of opening God's word to you. I am especially indebted to... Pastor Baker, for the invitation, always a privilege to share God's word, but especially here. I want to bring you greetings on behalf of your brothers and sisters at Bethany Baptist Church in Sault Ste. Marie. We would be glad to have you come and visit with us. If you have your blackberries and you would like to come next summer, uh, it's scheduled for July 15th. So you can come to the Sioux and enjoy our day of summer. When, <laughs> when I was going to the Sioux, they said, we need to tell you that it snows a little bit more here than it did in Blind River, which was our first church. They lied. A year ago... In doing this friendship evangelism stuff with my next door neighbor, he's on his roof in February shoveling off his roof. And I decide that would be a good thing to do to go and help him. And I kid you not, I walked up in his backyard, up the snowdrift, and stepped onto his roof. This is not a good thing. I've never seen a church yet that didn't need some encouragement, especially about the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Whatever else you may say when we are completed with God's word, I trust that you will say something like this. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Jesus. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Would you pray with me? And now, our Father, we ask that by your Spirit, you would be pleased to teach us from your Word. Cause the Lord Jesus to be exalted. Because we ask it in his excellent name. Amen. Lots of reasons to be discouraged, aren't there? We've been watching from afar the events as they've unfolded in the spring here in Oshawa. In the Sioux, we have the steel mill and uh, St. Mary's paper that uh, 
go with the vagaries of the market. And uh, there's a great deal of uncertainty. I don't know what your future holds. I do know this. That the Lord Jesus that we exalt this morning is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I want us to consider together five aspects that leave no doubt that he is supreme. That leave no doubt in our minds that he is preeminent. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. If you're a believer in the first century, there are a number of things that cause you concern. One is that you are being asked to believe in one and only one God. If you were a Gentile, believing in God wasn't a problem. You had a pantheon that you could believe in. You picked them. But if you'd come and you had trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at that point you're told this, there's only one, and Jesus is him. If you're Jewish, and you hear the proclamation that Messiah has come, and he's come in his fullness in the person of Jesus Christ, you begin to wonder, all that I have been taught of Yahweh Jehovah, how does that now fit in? How do I put that together? Do I just sort of add Jesus on the top? Got to keep all these things But now I've got to even work harder because there's Jesus. And the writer of the Hebrews wants to write and let them know in the first century and let us know 20 centuries later that Jesus is not only supreme for you and for me, he is absolutely sufficient. Go to the text with me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Five aspects. Let's work through it. I was sure that there used to be a clock in here somewhere back. Oh, it's under the lights and I can't see it. Hope you packed a lunch. (laughs) Five aspects of this. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. If I were to add a word of warning, I would tell you this. I get very concerned when 
I read and see and hear that what we are supposed to be about as believers in the Lord Jesus is this. Come to Christ and we'll tell you the ten ways to have a fantastic marriage. Come to Christ, we'll tell you the twelve ways to raise perfect kids. By the way, on that issue of raising perfect kids, you might want to talk to my dad. He believes both my sisters are. Four ways to guarantee your retirement. Five ways to do this as if somehow this is some kind of spiritual self-help book. I'm going to tell you, if somebody had come along when Annette and I were first married and said this, you do these 10 things and that'll happen, and those 15 things and that'll happen, and those three things and that'll happen, you'd have to be an idiot not to do that, wouldn't you? I'm going to tell you this. When I say things like, wouldn't you? All right? At least give me a very polite Canadian, mmm. All right? If somebody told me guaranteed, absolutely. But we don't have the book to guarantee all that stuff. Jesus is preeminent in proclamation because of this. In the past, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And what was that all about? It was all about Christ. You go to Genesis and you don't understand Genesis correctly. If you don't understand that Genesis points to Christ... Because we're plunged into all the evils of sin and death. And there's a promise of the Savior who would come and crush the tempter's head. You don't understand Exodus correctly if you don't understand the issue of redemption that far more than coming out of Egypt physically, it points to the Lord Jesus, who at Calvary bought our redemption. As you go throughout, in case you thought I was going to go through the whole Old Testament, you go throughout, and what do you discover? Jesus, the book isn't primarily to tell you how to have a better life. It's primarily to tell you about Jesus. Why? Because ultimately, he's all you need. The Puritans had this statement. The one who has Jesus and nothing else does not have less than the one who has Jesus 
and everything else. Jesus is sufficient. I look at the Old Testament and everything points to Jesus. And then the writer says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Grasp this, that in the greatness of eternity, with my sin that causes me to be guilty. The eternal God always had in his plan a lamb slain. Don't ever get the idea in the proclamation that Jesus comes and brings good news that somehow, as a result of the fall... The triune God ended up wringing their hands saying, "Uh uh-oh, we weren't planning for this. Now what do we do? From eternity past, God's sovereign plan was that the Son would die in our place and in our stead. The Old Testament pointed to that. And then Jesus came as the complete and final word. I don't know what you may have come looking for this morning. I'm here to tell you on the basis of God's word, Jesus is all you need. He is the word and God's final, ultimate word. Aren't you glad for that? See, because if you know Jesus, then you have enough. And there isn't anything more. You don't have to go searching around. Every once in a while, somebody asks me if I've experienced the second blessing. You know what I tell them? Yes. I was saved at the age of eight on a Christian service brigade camp out down at Newcastle. Bob Watson led me to the Lord. And about, I think, three seconds after I experienced the first blessing, I experienced the second And, like, I'm into the thousands now. So I don't know why anybody would focus on the second. Because, but count your many blessings. Now, because Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and, not Jesus and my comfort. Careful. Not Jesus and my health. Not Jesus and my future guaranteed. Not Jesus and my kids doing well. Not Jesus and for me, my two grandkids doing exceedingly well. God's ultimate and final word is Jesus. Now let's take a look at why that's so. It's declared, but now we need to demonstrate it because of this. Because in Canada today, the only thing that I cannot be dogmatic about is this. That there's 
one way. I'm going to tell you this about the person of the Lord Jesus, something that I've learned in living in the Sioux. If you came to the Sioux for a visit and then you said to me, Steve, we're heading on to Thunder Bay, um, can, can you give us the directions? I would say, yeah, from the second line, just drive back to Great Northern Road, turn left, that's Highway 17, and you're going to end up in Thunder Bay. As long as you stay on Highway 17, you're going to end up in Thunder Bay. You say, where are you going with this? This. Don't you think it would be just a little mean of me if I said, get on second line, keep heading straight back, don't flinch when you see the sign for Sudbury, trust me, you're on the right path. Yet somehow today, if we tell anyone there's one way and it's the person of the Lord Jesus, that somehow, even when we can demonstrate it, that's not a nice thing to do. Somehow I'm supposed to tell you that if you head out of the Sioux eastbound, you're going to get to Thunder Bay because we're all going to get there eventually. No, we're not. It doesn't matter how much you believe it. You can believe it with all your heart and have MapQuest and Google all set up and a GPS unit, etc., etc. You won't go to Thunder Bay unless you get on Highway 17 North. So somebody's come along to you since... There's a whole lot of you here today, I don't know. If somebody's come along to you and suggested this to you... At Calvary Baptist? A little narrow, aren't they? Like this, this... Trust Jesus alone. I don't want to find out at the end of my life. I don't want to find out as I step into eternity. Oh, it was only Jesus. If I've given into this as long as I believe in a higher power... Allah, Yahweh, all the same, just a little bit different name. No. It's not arrogant. Hear it. It is not arrogant to stand for truth. Now, how do we demonstrate it? Here's how he demonstrates it. The Lord Jesus is preeminent in this proclamation. Secondly, He is preeminent in his position. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Why is that important? Because he's in charge. Because that which he's promised to do, he can bring about. There are some things in life that promises are made, but the person isn't able to bring them about, But because the Lord Jesus, in his position, is preeminent, he has the authority to bring it about. Do you know that when my father was quite a bit younger than I am, his barber said to him, Wally, 
you'll be one man that never goes bald. Isn't that right, Father? There he is. When he, when he bowed his head like that, I saw the shine. See, the barber made the promise, but he didn't have the goods to back it up. When Jesus makes the promise, he has the goods to back it up because of this. He was appointed heir of all things. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 2 in the great statement regarding the Lord Jesus? That Paul records for us this. That he's given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, he was in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Would all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When God gave him the title as heir of all things, what's the terminology? When Paul writes to Philippi, they were used to this. In the first century, Caesar was always taken as divine. And taken as divine, if you were going to be a good Roman citizen, then once a year, you would go to a temple, you would burn some incense, and you would declare, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Once you had declared that, then you would be issued a libellus which allowed you to go about your business within the Roman Empire. And what we learn is this. God gave to our Savior, the Lord Jesus, the title that is above any other title. For what's going to be declared is this. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a very precious name, Jesus. But let me tell you, in that little section, Paul's point is this. Not so much on the name of Jesus as the name Lord. You go to Latin America today... And you will find about every fourth little boy is named Jesus. But there can only ever be one Lord. There can't be two. There can only be one. And the reason that we rest in his proclamation... Because of the position that he has. He's heir of all things. He's Lord. Aren't you glad that if you're in Jesus Christ today, the one you trust is Lord? Is supreme? Thirdly, he is preeminent in his proclamation. He's preeminent in his position. He is preeminent in his power. Through whom also he created the world. Those of you that know me know that I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, a mathematician. 
or a physicist. When I was in grade 11 at Eastdale Collegiate, the lowest mark in high school was in physics, and the teacher nicely wrote for my mother to read, Stephen's grades have improved since football season's over. So I've got to read this for you. Through whom also he made the world. I love this. Distance from the earth to the sun. 93 million miles approximately. If that distance is represented, not, not by this, but by the thickness of this piece of paper. Got it? To reach the nearest star beyond the sun. We need a stack of paper. 71 feet high. For our galaxy, we'd need a stack of paper 310 miles high. For the known universe, we would need a stack of paper 31 million miles high. And note that it takes 10.4 million sheets of paper to make a stack that is just one mile high. Now, if that's causing your brain to go, good. Because what took place is this. The one who is my savior spoke, and there it was. All of that. So when I look, and I need to trust him for my future, when I need to trust him For eternity, I look and say, not only does he have the authority because the Father granted that to him in his position, look at the power. He spoke and there it all was. And yet the text tells us this about your life and mine, Colossians, He holds it all together. So the one that spoke, and boom, it happened, knows when one of the hairs of your head falls. He knows how many you have. He knows when a sparrow falls. And I can get in my car and drive along and think to myself, in everything that I see, he called that all into being. And he wanted a personal relationship with me. With you. Isn't that a reason to be encouraged? You're not as sure. It gets better. The Lord Jesus Christ is preeminent in his person, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And upholds the universe by the word of his power. You want to know what God is like. 
get out your Bibles and read the Gospels. For when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus, then you know exactly what God is like. Because when you read the Gospels and you see what the Gospels record about Jesus, you see what the Gospels record about God. Because Jesus said, very simply, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? The God-man is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? Some of you will remember that in the 1970s, it's a famous front cover of Time magazine. The uh, question was asked, is God dead? The answer that 2,000 years prior, on a Roman cross, God the Son died in my place and in yours. 2,000 years ago, on a Roman cross, the Father was pleased to take the sin of all the world and place it on his Son. He's preeminent in his person. The reason that he can offer you eternal life today is because... He was a perfect Savior because He is a perfect Savior. That brings us finally to this. The Lord Jesus is not only preeminent in His proclamation and in His position, in His power and in His person, He is preeminent in His provision. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After having made purification for sins, what's, what's that all about? For those who had a Jewish background, they knew exactly what that was all about. From the time they had been young, they would have been taught. Here's what the book of Leviticus tells us about sacrifice. And when they came to Leviticus chapter 16, then they would have been taught about the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest took off his normal garb. He put on the garb that he only wore once a year on the Day of Atonement. He went, first of all, to make atonement for himself because he was not a perfect high priest. Having made atonement for himself, he would then make atonement on behalf of the people. Remember? Once a year, 
through the holy place into the holy of holies to take the blood of that goat sprinkle it on the mercy seat there'd been two goats one was killed and the blood applied the other one the scapegoat the high priest put his hands on that goat's head confessed the sin of the people And the goat was led out into the wilderness. So God shows us this picture about how he takes away sin. It's out in the wilderness, gone. But it takes the shedding of blood. They would have known all of that. The part that would have perhaps confused them in Hebrews chapter 1 is this. Having made purification for sins, he sat down. Because of this, check it out. The tabernacle or the temple. No place for the high priest to sit down. No place for him to take a rest. Why? Because his work was never done. You go back to Leviticus chapter 16. You would think that on the one day of the year that you actually went into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, that that would be enough for that day. Wouldn't you? What do you read is this. He goes out from that. He goes back, changes into the garments that he normally wears, and that day sacrifices yet again in the daily way. Why? Because not even for one day Was that sacrifice sufficient? But this man, the God-man, when he made purification for sins, he sat down. Because I tell you in Jesus' name today, the work of redemption is complete. The work of our salvation is finished. He paid in full. You go from here today resting in the truth of a magnificent proclamation in the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Knowing that he has the power and authority to do everything he promised you he would do. based on the most magnificent provision in all of eternity. He made purification for sins. There was a goat that was slaughtered on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But on Calvary's hill, There hung the precious God-man, the Lord Jesus, for you. There he endured not only our sin, but the wrath of his father against sin poured out on his son 
to such a degree the father shut the lights out. The sacrifice at Calvary so dreadful the sinless son of God cries my God my God why have you forsaken me and then victoriously declares it's finished the work's done one last question have you made personal what the Lord Jesus made possible? Do you have a personal relationship with him? That you know him? See, far beyond all the changes that have taken place in church life and without church life, the basic, simple message is the person of the Lord Jesus. I trust you know him. If you've never trusted him, we invite you to do so this morning. Christ has for sin atonement made. What a wonderful Savior. We are redeemed. The price is paid. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Jesus. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Would you pray with me? bow in awe of our great Savior. Our Father, we bless your name that the one who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I pray for some today who've come and They've never trusted the Lord Jesus. I pray this morning that you would grant them the grace to believe. For others who have come, they're discouraged. They're wondering what you're doing. I pray they'd find their comfort and their hope and their certainty in the person of our Savior. Because we ask it in his excellent name. Amen.